The offseason's only a couple days old for the Seahawks, but they wasted a little time making their first splash, signing one of their key free agents. Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking it all down on our Wednesday episode of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our latest Wednesday installment, my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all the 12s out there. Regardless of where you're tuning in from, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. The Seahawks didn't waste much time making their first free agency splash. We'll break down the details coming up here shortly on the show. Plus, we're going to take a look at some moves the Seahawks can make to open up some cap space with an extension looming for Geno Smith and a first glance at Seattle's defensive free agents as we draw closer to the start of the new league year. Jam-packed episode coming your way, courtesy of Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Now for your lead story here on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This was not expected today, but the Seahawks making their first free agency splash, signing one of their key players that was set to hit the market in March. Kicker Jason Myers agreeing to a four-year contract worth $21.2 million, upwards of $22.6 million with incentives. Rob, the deal would make Jason Myers the second highest paid kicker in the NFL, around $5.5 million annually. He was already one of the higher paid kickers in the NFL in his last deal, but he was an all-pro selected by his peers, the NFLPA list. He was a pro bowler, really had the best season of his career, in my opinion. Not the best percentage of kicks made, but 34 for 37, 6 for 6 from 50 yards or longer to tie a team record in that department. Really a fantastic season and a well-deserved contract extension. Yeah, that, that's where I, I think that this was such a high priority for the Seahawks, Corbin. And, and I know there's going to be some Seahawks fans out there like, yeah, you just extended the kicker. Well, I think the reason why you did that is because Myers played at such an exceptional level. Um, this is a player that Seattle believed in and brought him in as a free agent, and he has rewarded their faith in him by just having some of the greatest seasons in certainly in Seahawk history, but frankly in NFL history. And of course, kicking in Seattle is no jog in the park. I mean, the, the weather conditions that are just inherent in Seattle and in the NFC West division, as you said, this past season, six for six on kicks of 50 plus yards. Yards. Uh, I think anybody who watched the way that the Dallas Cowboys and their kicker, Brent Mars, struggled uh, missing four PATs um, against Tampa Bay Buccaneers just this past weekend. Uh, you know, I mean, I, th- it's really difficult to win consistently in the NFL, especially the way the Seahawks go about it if you don't win on special teams. And the Seahawks, I think, have dedicated more resources in terms of scouting and in terms, obviously, of finances to special teams than most clubs. This is what I will say on this front. We know that there are going to be fans out there that are going to look at the cost here. Five and a half million dollars per season kicker and they're that are going to that 
team should be doing from a roster construction perspective, because that is a lot of money to throw into a kicker. But as you were pointing out, Rob, this is a team that likes to control the football. They like to run the football. You're going to be playing games in November, December in Seattle where it's going to be rainy. It's going to be windy. You have to have a reliable kicker. And even though Myers has been bitten by inconsistency at times, in particular odd seasons, I hope there was a clause in his contract for 2023. We need you to actually make more than 80% of your field goals because he has had issues in odd seasons, but he's been so good in the even years. 2020, a perfect 24 for 24. He made 37 consecutive field goals over a couple years span, which is a franchise record. That is flat out ridiculous. And this year, he was trying to match that record and then unfortunately did miss a few field goals down the stretch. But 34 for 37, still nothing to scoff at. 91%, perfect from 50-plus yards. I just think when you look at the way, as you mentioned, the Seahawks play the game and that they rely on their run game. And this is a team that didn't necessarily do great in the red zone this year. It's a weapon when you can have a kicker that can come onto the field and consistently make 50-plus yard field goals. And so, you know, some would argue – go out and get another kicker you can pay them a half of that and then we can use that money at other positions but you say that until you get to the regular season then you lose three games where if you would have had one more field goal made you would have won them and then suddenly you realize just how valuable a kicker really is so I have absolutely no issue with this he obviously earned this money and now the second highest paid kicker in the league behind Justin Tucker of the Ravens he's been just as good as Justin Tucker And so the Seahawks, they made it clear here by signing him this quickly that this was going to be a top priority for them, as it should have been. When you have a really good kicker, you don't want to end up in a situation where you're signing Blair Walsh. The Seahawks have been there not that long ago. You don't want to go back down that road. So sign the all-pro kicker that you have in Jason Myers to a four-year deal. I think in the end, it's a very sound investment for them. No, I, I really do as well. And again, I think that you make an excellent point about how there are going to be some critics. I mean, this is an awful lot of money we're talking about with the kicker. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, again, I do think that it sends a message across the locker room and across all of the NFL that if you come to Seattle and you play at an exceptional level, then you are going to get rewarded. Um, I, I think that, we, you know, as we talked about in yesterday's show, Corb, but we all know that Geno Smith is obviously going to be the top priority. But again, I, I think that it makes a statement to everybody in that locker room that, again, if you play at this level, you are going to be a top priority. And so kudos to the Seahawks for getting this done as as quickly as they did. Um, I, I think that, again, it speaks very uh I think that Geno Smith and his representatives should be very excited uh, about how aggressive that Seattle was with Jason Myers, Cody Barton, and the rest of Seattle's free agents as well. Um, I, I think that it's I'll, – I'll say it this way. You know, Matt Rule, of course, did not – or it struggled during his time in the NFL. And previously, when he was at the head coach, uh, you know, in some of his different college stops, one of the things that he did that I really thought was cool was that the players who practiced the hardest, did the best, they they would be rewarded with a jersey between the digits of number one and number nine. And he would literally rank them on who was the, the most intense practice player. 
And if you got number one, you got number five, you got number nine, you are one of the studs on your team. I love what the Seahawks are saying to Jason Myers here. I think it's going to send that encouragement to the rest of their of their roster that we want to be the guy that is viewed as the top priority to sign. To me, that's how you build a roster. That's how you build. That's how you compete. And Pete Carroll and John Schneider does good, about a good job of that. As just about anybody in the league. Yeah, I love the point that you make here that they made an emphasis to pay a player, regardless of the position, that earned this money with his standout play. I mean, he was second in the NFL in field goals made this year, 91% conversion rate, only missed one extra point. And that's been an issue. That's been a problem for him in the past. And he really shored that up this year. And how many clutch kicks did he make for the Seahawks this year? Even look at the playoff game. I know that the 49ers ended up going on a run in the fourth quarter to pull away in that game, but Seattle had the lead at halftime because Jason Myers in nasty conditions Nailed a 56-yarder at Levi Stadium, tying the stadium record in that atmosphere with that weather. That might have been the most impressive kick that I have seen when you consider the conditions that he was kicking in. And he had room to spare. That might have been good for 60 yards. It was impressive. And that's just the kind of season he's had. And like you said, it does send a message to the rest of the team. If you perform, you play at a high level, you help us win football games, you are going to get awarded. We are going to pay you. So I agree with you. Geno Smith, his reps are probably extremely excited about this. And I think Geno will be excited because this is a message. We are going to pay the players that have earned that money. Geno Smith believes he's done that. You and I believe that he has. And that's a perfect segue into our next segment because all signs are pointing to the Seahawks extending Geno Smith or at least franchise tagging him and him being the quarterback next season. But with Jason Myers' contract and all the other contracts they've got on the books, Seattle's going to have to get creative to open up some cap space. Rob and I are going to be looking at some ways through cap casualties, extensions, and restructures that the Seahawks can create a bit of financial flexibility to not only extend Smith, but build around him. We'll take a look at several different scenarios when we come back here on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Ultimate Football GM. If you've ever dreamed of becoming an NFL GM and managing your football franchise, your dream can come true, and this game is definitely for you. Manage every strategic aspect of your team, play through the season, and lead your team to glory. You're responsible for hiring the right coaches and coordinators, trading players, making draft picks, navigating your franchise through free agency and the draft, and all the ups and downs of the season. All of this in a challenging and realistic game world, and Ultimate Football GM is completely free and playable offline. You can play on the go as you want and when you want to. I'm currently managing the Honolulu Sharks, and quite frankly, I'm probably on the verge of getting fired and replaced. It has been a rough first two years. I'm hoping to turn things around and get back into contention in our virtual Locked On League. It's a blast. Our listeners should join in the fun in their own league. Locked On Seahawks listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when they use the promo code Locked On. That's in all caps in the game store. That's Locked On in all caps. So make sure to check it out today. You can download the game by visiting ultimate-gm.com or look it up in the app store. That's ultimate-gm.com, ultimate football GM. Start your dynasty today. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And thanks to all the 12s out there, whether this is your first time listening to Locked on Seahawks 
or you're a regular listener. We appreciate all of you for taking the time to make Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And for your second listen, make sure to check out the Locked on NFL podcast and get your daily conversations on the biggest NFL stories, plus in-depth analysis in the biggest games with NFL key predictions every Friday and Monday. Local insiders cover the weekend with game-to-game episodes Locked on NFL. It's available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. As we just detailed to open today's show, the Seahawks are officially on the board in free agency, extending Jason Myers with a four-year contract. Not obviously the biggest name on Seattle's free agent list. That's reserved for a certain quarterback in Geno Smith. And to this point, all signs are indicating that the Seahawks plan to give Geno Smith a new contract, whether that's a long-term deal or using the franchise tag. All options are on the table, but they want Geno to be the quarterback in 2023, potentially beyond. Pete Carroll saying that he is part of the reason they're so positive about the future. Everything that's been said points to him being their quarterback moving forward. But Rob, especially with Jason Myers now having this big deal that makes him the second highest paid kicker in the league, I don't think fans realize, yeah, Seattle had $34 million in estimated cap space, but it's not like they have a ton of financial flexibility. And oh, by the way, Geno Smith's going to be looking for $30-plus million dollars And if you give him the franchise tag, it's $32.4 million. That's the estimate right now. So that is a very large chunk of the cap space that they have available to begin with. And that means they're going to have to get creative. They are going to have to get creative, Corbin, because right now the Seahawks do not have nearly as many players signed to their roster for the 2023 season as most NFL teams do. And as you just said, we very much expect Geno Smith's contract to take up the bulk of the remaining space. You know, it's interesting. I I look at social media sometimes and I, I see some of the Seahawks fans out there, Corbin, who are imagining that the Seahawks are going to sign just about every free agent at every position that is available this upcoming I think that's season. been every year in NFL history. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of comical how that works out. And again, if you just look at the, the salary cap space the Seahawks currently have, then just bringing back Geno Smith to say nothing of guys like Cody Barton or you know Puna Ford or Ryan Neal or all these other players that we have talked about before. It, who knows at the center position? You know, Austin Blythe and Kyle Fuller are both currently free agents. So whatever you're going to do with that. So clearly, Seattle is going to have to kind of massage the salary cap a little bit. And that can take the form of lots of different ways of doing that. Um, it, it could just be that you're simply going to be releasing players, which we're going to be talking about here in a moment. There's also going to be the possibility of extending players, restructuring contracts. Let's just say that before we even begin, Corbin, when we're talking about men and their families and the money that they were signed deals to receive, then obviously we want all of these players to get the money that they've earned. But at the same time, we also know that the NFL is a business. There are going to be some players that are going to get released. And frankly, there are some players who, who I thought didn't play up to the expectations of their contract. So I'll just jump in right here. We talked about Gabe Jackson during yesterday's show as well. To me, that would be one of the, the players that I think that Seattle needs to either restructure or perhaps even cut outright to try and save some uh, some space in the salary cap because Gabe Jackson, as good of a player as he is, I don't think that he is worth the money that he is currently being scheduled to get paid by the CX in 2023. 
Yeah, we talked about this yesterday, Rob. He had the fourth lowest pass protection efficiency rating among guards, according to Pro Football Focus, and the film matches that. He's got a knee that has been giving him issues. He hasn't been able to play full games. They were rotating him with Phil Haynes just to keep him fresh throughout the season. He's going to be turning 32, which isn't that old for an offensive lineman, and yet with his knee condition and the fact that he has been declining now three straight years in terms of his pass protection efficiency, I don't think restructuring or extending are options here. I think right now there's a very good chance the Seattle Seahawks are moving on for him and they can save over $6 million against the cap, go draft a guard. Maybe you bring back Phil Haynes on an affordable one-year deal. There are some options there, but I will find it surprising if they don't make a move on that front and unload Gabe Jackson because he just hasn't played up to expectations. And it doesn't look like he is in a position where he's going to be able to have a bounce back season. I want to throw out a couple other names and some of our listeners can be like, man, he's picking on the defensive line, but that's really the group where cap casualties are best suited for this team. Because look at the amount of money the Seahawks can save Shelby Harris, as good as he was this year, he only had two sacks. He's going to be 32 years old. His cap hit is over $12 million. You can save $8.9 million by releasing him. We'll talk a little bit later. There might be another option that's suitable with him. Al Woods, you can save $3.67 million. And as valuable as he is, he's going to be 36, and he had some injury issues this year. And Quentin Jefferson, he had the 14th most pressures among defensive tackles in the NFL this year. In the second half, he was playing at a borderline Pro Bowl level in terms of rushing the passer. His run defense was questionable, though, a lot of this season, and you can save over $4 million releasing him. I don't know that he fits that hybrid 3-4 necessarily. They had to go to more of an attacking style to fit his his traits, his strengths. And so any of those players there that I mentioned, you can save at least $4 million cutting two of those players, almost $4 million cutting Al Woods. I could see one or two of these guys getting the axe just because they need to do some retooling along that defensive line to begin with. And that's where you can save the most money this offseason. It is. And uh, you mentioned the defensive interior specifically, and there's a name on that is not on that list that I, I think that we should be talking about as well. And that is Brian Monet. Um, you know, and again, he and Al Woods basically play that very similar role. And Pete Carroll talked about it, that he thinks that Puna Ford is at his best lined up on the nose as well. Those are three talented players, all likely to get paid very well. As we've talked about many times before, Puna Ford was Seattle's highest paid player this past season. And now Al Woods and Brian Monet are set to be a couple of Seattle's highest paid players next year with Puna Ford again, a free agent. So again, that is one of the positions that Seattle is really going to have to be able to figure out what their strategy is moving forward. Monet is going to be a curious case just because he's coming off a torn ACL and there were other complications there. Could you have a potential failed physical designation that comes down the road when they just gave him a new contract last year? I know that's not what Seattle wants to do, but that's a totally different conversation because they wouldn't be making that judgment right after he had knee surgery. That's not something they're going to be doing right now. But I agree with you that that is a name that we might be talking about a few months from now trying to figure out where he's going to fit in because he might miss most of the 2023 season given the nature of his injury and big guys it can take longer to come back from ACL injuries just because of their size and he's a player that's had a few other injury issues dating back to his time at Michigan only way 
create cap space this time of year. And let's talk a little bit more positive guys that have earned extensions. And we have to start with, in my opinion, the best defensive player for the Seahawks this year. And that was a Nuosu. What a slam dunk of a free agent signing that that was for John Schneider. One of the three best that he's made in his 13 years at the helm for the Seahawks. And really, he ended up being a bargain, going out there, getting 62 quarterback pressures, nine and a half sacks, 12 tackles for a loss. He was equally good against the run as he was rushing the passer, forced fumbles, extremely disruptive from week one all the way till the final game with three tackles for a loss against the 49ers and Saturday's loss to the 49ers. In the, in the wild card round, he was fantastic. And he only has one year left in his deal I think you make a move there to extend him three or four years. Now he has earned that contract, and he's only 26. He's in the prime of his career. He is the perfect fit for the defense they're wanting to run. I think you can run him in any scheme because he can do a little bit of everything, but he's a really good fit in this 3-4, and his cap hit's going to be north of $13 million this year. You can lower that significantly by extending him and reworking the deal. So, Uchenna Nuosu has earned a new contract more than anybody in this roster. The Seahawks should pounce, and this is usually when they do it, when there's one year left to go on the player's contract. Yeah, I think I 100% agree with you. I think if there is any of the, the young players that Seattle needs to extend, then Nuosu would be one of those guys that, that makes an awful lot of sense. I'll, I'll go back to the offensive side of the ball, and, and a guy that I'm – I think that Seattle should be looking to retain because he also is a very young player who I think is just starting to become the player that he's that he could be, and that's Kobe Parkinson. You, you talked about Ichiro Nuosu at 26. Uh, Parkinson's only 24. I mean, this is he's a baby still. Um, and, and so I really see a player that is developing. I thought he made major strides this past season as a blocker. I've always loved his ball skills, his size, his speed. I think he can be a dynamic player. Um, so to me, he is another guy that I think of the younger players that we've seen enough that Seattle should be looking to extend. Um, and you mentioned some of the older players along the defensive line. I, I thought the Shelby Harris and Al Woods in particular, Quentin Jefferson toward the end of the season, I thought that they were some of Seattle's best players on any uh, at any position uh, at, at times last season. So you want to be able to keep those players. I think that you're certainly talking about some of the best leaders on Seattle's team as well. But again, age is significant. All of those players are over 30 years old, whereas the two players that we've talked about here in, uh, you know, in Parkinson and Nuosu, again, are in their mid-20s. You're still hoping that they have better football player and their better football to play in the future. I'm going to stay with the tight end position. I like the Parkinson idea. He would certainly be a player to throw in here, but I don't think that's going to save you any money because he's a fourth-round pick on a rookie deal. Noah Fant is a former first-round pick that's going to be in the fifth-year deal of his contract. The Seahawks picked it up last year, and we're looking at $6.85 million cap hit. That's not massive compared to some of the others we talked about, but he is a young player, too, that I still think has a major, a majorly high ceiling that we have not seen him come close to reaching yet. And what encourages me is, like Parkinson, I saw a kid that really turned the corner as a blocker this year. And as the season progressed, he became more involved in their passing game. 486 yards in the, in the receiving game is less than I thought he was going to have, but he had four touchdowns. He had 50 catches. He improved as a blocker. 
I think Noah Fant should be a player like Parkinson. You can make the argument Parkinson's in that mix too. Maybe both those guys are players that you want to get extended that you can have as part of your foundation moving beyond 2023. And if you extend Noah Fant, that cap hit for his fifth-year option may lower to maybe half of that, depending on the structure of the deal. And $3 million is $3 million. That gives you a little more flexibility in free agency and signing draft picks as well. So Noah Fant would be another name that I would throw out there. And last but not least, the thing that John Schneider hates to do, and that's restructuring contracts. I don't know that we'll see him do any of this right now, but it's worth discussing. And this is typically your higher priced players that have several years left under contract. And I'm just going to throw a couple names out here real quick. Tyler Lockett could be a restructure candidate to open up a little over $5 million. If you absolutely needed that money to go out and get a pass rusher or whatever else that they want to do in free agency. I think Quandre Diggs is another candidate. We were talking a few weeks ago about Quandre Diggs and wondering with his cap hit being 18 million or the Seahawks going to hang on to him. And all he did was really play as well as any safety in the NFL, the last five or six games. So he is definitely going to be back here next year, but you could restructure him and open up over $6 million potentially in cap space. And I know another name that you're probably going to want to touch on a little bit. That's a little more complicated because of the injuries, but Jamal Adams is another one that maybe John Schneider could consider as well. Yeah, that's the thing is to me, there's really two contracts that this is all going to come down to is if Seattle can do something creative with Jamal Adams, who is going to be due $18 million next season, the same basic amount as Quandre Diggs. That's an awful lot of money dedicated to the safety position. So I think that is definitely something to watch. And then obviously it comes down to what Geno Smith really wants in terms of his base salary. If Seattle is able to be a little bit creative and uh, shelter some of that money in terms of signing bonus, or if it is a longer deal than the two or three year contract that, you know, we've been kind of talking about in the past is Geno Smith to, to put it simply is Geno Smith going to play the Tom Brady type of role and be willing to take less money? Or is he understandably going to be looking to get every single nickel he possibly can because this is his first opportunity to really cash in those to me are going to be the really big storylines for us to watch this season and if seattle does get the answers that they hope for from jamal adams and from Geno smith i do think that the seahawks could be players a little bit in free agency it could be kind of fun to to watch this from a seattle perspective at the same time if they are unable to do so then we could see a complete roster rebuild basically where seattle if they have to pay a lot of money to the quarterback whoever it is geno smith or anybody else then again we're going to be you're going to see the seahawks have to rely on getting good young players via the draft because they're not going to be able to afford anybody else yeah, I think that's the reality that fans have to understand. Like this team is not suddenly in a position like the Chicago Bears are where they've got a hundred plus million dollars in cap space and they can go out and they can go on a shopping spree and get some players. They might have the flexibility to be able to land a decent player or two in free agency, but with Geno Smith's contract situation, it's going to be very difficult for them to go out and make many splashy moves because they're going to have to fill out the rest of the roster too. Mm -hmm. And that's going to require some cap space. And right now they've got less than 40 players under contract. So this is a team that's got a lot of things they're going to have to figure out business-wise in the next couple months. I do expect that some of the moves we talked about here are going to happen. The Gabe Jackson one probably being the one that I would be betting on the most 
here to happen for the Seahawks to try to open up some cap space so they can take care of their offseason business, including giving Geno Smith a new contract or if they have to franchise tagging him at that 32.4 million totally guaranteed value, which it sounds like they would be willing to do, but they're hoping obviously to avoid that so they can massage the salary cap a little bit coming up next. Speaking of free agency yesterday, we had a first glance at the offensive free agent for the Seahawks. We're going to look at Seattle's defensive free agents and dish out our rankings, our top five defenders that the Seahawks should prioritize re-signing this offseason. We'll get to those here in a moment on our Wednesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from pro football to college bull season to basketball and the World Cup. They've got it all at BetOnline.net. If you love sports podcasts, you can even find those at BetOnline as well. It's the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. So head to their website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Wednesday edition of Locked on Seahawks. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. A special thanks to all those 12s out there. Thanks for listening in and making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Continuing to talk free agency, the first glance, Rob. Yesterday, we looked at all of Seattle's pending offensive free agents, and it was a fairly lengthy list. Maybe not a lot of game-changing players on there. I think you can semi-say the same thing with the defensive list, but it is a much larger list of free agents that the Seahawks have that will be hitting the market. In particular, look how lengthy the unrestricted free agent list is. Puna Ford, Cody Barton, Bruce Irvin, LJ Collier, Justin Coleman, Daryl Johnson, Jonathan Abram, Josh Jones, Tease Tabor, Artie Burns, Xavier Crawford, and Ben Burkirvan is technically an unrestricted free agent as well. Ryan Neal being a big-name restricted free agent. Tanner Muse, that's an actually pretty darn important one with Jordan Brooks' injury. He's also a restricted free agent. Miles Adams, John Radigan, and Mike Jackson, all exclusive rights free agents. The good news on that front, though, Rob, is that those players, you just have to give them a tender, and it's not expensive. So especially for a player like Mike Jackson that started all 17 games, he's not going to be overly expensive to bring back. But There are more notable names on here than on the offensive side of the football. And I think there's more conflict in terms of personnel versus the scheme they're wanting to run. And like you said yesterday, it does create some dominoes depending on what the Seahawks choose to do. It absolutely does. And again, I think that you described that very well. I mean, Seattle has some really interesting decisions to make here. If they believe that, say, Cody Barton or Puna Ford, if they really do fit in with the defensive scheme that they want to use, because I thought that there were times where it didn't look like they fit in. Now, Cody Barton, I was really encouraged by just how well he played towards the second half of the season. It really felt like he just took a massive leap um, after Seattle's bye week. Now, the the injury to Jordan Brooks, I think, makes Cody Barton that much more important for Seattle to resign. And maybe that doesn't seem fair or seem kind of silly. Maybe that might be the case. But I think that regardless, you are likely to have to have some type of other starting inside linebacker option because Brooks just simply is going to run out of time to, to be able to start next season. I mean, it's possible, but you don't want to bank on that. So if you are going to be starting two new inside linebackers, well, hell, that's almost as crazy as starting two rookie offensive tackles. And obviously Seattle did that this past season and it was incredibly effective in doing so, but that's not 
the strategy that you want to take, in my opinion. And so, again, I do think that Cody Barton is probably the highest priority. But unlike yesterday, when we talked about the offensive guys that uh, we thought the Seattle should prioritize, and we both agreed that it was Geno Smith, I don't know that bringing back Cody Barton or, frankly, any of this, of these defensive players is absolutely critical. I do think that, again, there are going to be some really interesting free agent options out there. And again, it's going to come down to what Seattle was able to do with Geno Smith, what Seattle may decide to do with Jamal Adams and his big contract, and then figuring out how big of a deal Cody Barton really is for the Seahawks. I think the Barton situation is going to be one of the more fascinating storylines that has been magnified by Brooks's injury. Because as you mm-hmm. mentioned, you don't want to go into the year with two brand new starters at the off-ball linebacker position. And one of them is going to have to have the green dot in their helmet and be the play caller. I mean, that is a big responsibility. And Bobby Wagner did it for a decade. Jordan Brooks last year was his first season getting to do that. So you don't want to draft a rookie and have to throw him into that spot. A free agent coming in maybe is a little bit better equipped, but then that's money that, again, we just talked about you might not necessarily have. So you want to invest it back in your own players. And so I do think Cody Barton is going to be a much higher priority. That being said, I have to disagree with you on one statement saying, I don't know if there's anybody on this list necessarily that has to be re-signed. Number 26 needs to be back. And he's a restricted free agent. And there's several reasons why Ryan Neal needs to be on this roster this next season. And they need to put it. I would put a second round tender is probably what I would do. And that's around $4 million. And you can already look at how much money they spent at safety and say, I don't want to do that. But there's no guarantee Jamal Adams is going to be Jamal Adams next year. We have to see him come back on the field coming off a torn quad tendon and see if he's the same player. And he's had other injuries. Quandry Diggs is going to be 30. He's still a very good player, but this is a group that has been ravaged by injuries the last couple of years. And Ryan Neal should be on the field with those two a lot anyway. That's what they've wanted to do when injuries have prevented it from happening. But Ryan Neal got a bunch of all-pro votes this year for a reason. This is the last year that you're going to be able to sign him at an affordable contract. So he better be back this year. And with that being said, here's my rankings to our listeners watching on YouTube. Ryan Neal and Cody Barton are number one and two for me just because of positional importance, the injuries they're dealing with at those spots. I've got Puna Ford at number three. And the reason I'm throwing him that high on the list here is I still think Puna Ford is a very good football player. There are question marks with him in this scheme, but I thought he looked a lot better after, ironically, they had injuries in the middle and he was playing that nose tackle position that Pete Carroll was saying he's better at. He sure looked better at it in those games. He was more disruptive. And I know he doesn't look like a nose tackle in the NFL, but he's a really difficult guy to block in the middle. And he can two-gap in that sense. His penetration ability through the A-gap is a real problem for opposing offense. So I think if they use him differently, I don't think you're going to have the same cap hit because of the season he's coming off of. I don't think he's going to get – he's not going to command a ton of free agent market him fairly – and he's still a very disruptive football player if you use him properly. So Puna Ford would be number three on my list. And closing out the list, I actually have Jonathan Abram at number four because I liked what I saw from the former first-round pick. And again, depth at safety and on special teams is important. He's going to be cheap to re-sign. I would think veteran minimum. And Miles Adams is another player. He's an exclusive rights-free agent. Would be nice to bring him back. Mike Jackson, I could have put him on this list. 
But again, those exclusive rights free agents are pretty easy. You just give them a tender. Nobody else can match those deals, and they're on your football team. So I just think with some of the moves they might be making at defensive tackle, Miles Adams is going to have a much better chance to get uh, significant reps for the Seahawks next year. He played pretty well in this 3-4 defense. No, he really did. He he was on my list as well um, of guys that I was really uh, you know thinking should be a priority for Seattle to retain. And we we actually had the same top three. We just had them in different order. Um, those of you who are watching on YouTube can see my top five list. Those of you who are not watching, I'll I'll throw that list out here right now. Again, my top five um, prior priorities among Seattle's free agents would be Cody Barton, then Puna Ford, Ryan. Ryan Neal, Miles Adams, and then Daryl Johnson. I think I, I agree with basically everything that you just said about Cody Barton, Puma Ford, and, and Ryan Neal. The, the biggest thing for me is because we have the questions at the defensive tackle uh, position that we've already discussed, right? We, is Al Woods going to be retained? Can Brian Monet come back from the torn ACL? Shelby Harris, Quentin Jefferson, are they going to be retained? That's one of the reasons why Puna Ford jumped up a little bit more on my board. I do think that the interior of the defensive line is a critical area of concern for the Seahawks. So it's resigning Puna Ford because I agree with you. I think that he's still a young, ascending, very good football player. Um, for his size, his power, how slippery he is, he is – a nuisance, but the scheme has to fit his talent. And so again, that's why there's a little bit of a question mark here for me. And while I have a very similar player and miles Adams also on my list, even though, again, this is a guy that the Seattle should be able to retain pretty easily. And I, I would throw out those, those exclusive rights for agents that you, you mentioned before with, with Neil, with John Radigan, uh, those are some good football players. I think the Seattle wants to bring back all of those guys. Um, but I would, say this. We haven't talked about Daryl Johnson yet, and I want to make sure that I talk about him. That was a player that Seattle, of course, brought over in the very beginning of the season. Was I was really impressed by his length and his strength, his ability to keep containment responsibility. Something that the Seattle struggled with all season long is running backs go, bouncing it to the outside off the left or right side and then just running for days. And when Daryl Johnson was on the field, we didn't see that happen very often. Now, it was a very limited sa sample set. But still, I was intrigued enough by him that I think he should be somebody that Seattle makes a priority to retain as well. Yeah, that's a really interesting name because I didn't even consider him for the top five just with the limited snaps he had. But he did do a very good job setting the edge. And maybe the Seahawks look at him being healthy, bringing him back. He's going to be affordable. It's going to be vet minimum. So that might be the kind of players that they are filling out a lot of their roster with and having familiar faces that you know have played well in your scheme, even in limited snaps. You got a couple guys coming off of the injury at that edge rushing position as well. And so that could make a lot of sense for the Seahawks. My number seven guy on here, I just want to throw this out real quick because, again, th this was tougher than the offensive one for me because there are a lot of names that I was like, you know, that guy could really help them next year or they're going to have injuries in that position. I already mentioned Cody Barton. Tanner Muse as a restricted free agent. I thought played admirably. I thought he played really well the last couple of games for the Seahawks. He played better in the playoff game than I realized. I thought he had a rough afternoon. He made a few mistakes, but he actually played fairly well in that game when I went back and watched the All-22. So he's a really young linebacker. He hasn't been playing the position very long, a phenomenal athlete, and a really good special teams player. He should be another one. And I think you could keep him around on an original round tender that's much cheaper. And I don't think anybody's going to be trying to snipe him away from you. So I think both those restricted free agents should be kept around 
Ryan Neal because he's a fantastic player. And Tanner Muse, a really good depth piece that maybe could compete for a starting job without Jordan Brooks being available at the start of the season. So there's a lot of intrigue on defense. It's a group that needs to retool at all three levels of the defense. And yet there are some players that are going to be free agents that you think at the right price could be worth bringing back and continuing to grow in this scheme. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to check out Locked on Seahawks. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, streaming five days a week on YouTube as well. Thanks for listening. We'll be back for our Thursday show looking at the 2023 schedule. Rookie of the Year candidacies for Ken Walker III and Tariq Woolen, their finalists, going to be breaking down that race as it unfolds and much more. You won't want to miss the episode. Enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Thanks for listening, and go Hawks.